Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I share biblical truth that offers life for your walk and life for your soul. This is episode 19, Moved with Compassion, Jesus Cares Deeply for You. Before we begin, I want to just say a big thank you for all the feedback that I'm getting from you, the tweets, the DMs, the text messages about how the episodes are resonating with you and speaking to you. You just don't know how much I greatly appreciate that. Doing this podcast was really a step of obedience for me. And I said, even if only my mother is listening, I'm going to do it. So it's nice to know that there is someone other than my mother out there listening and We've got listeners all over the United States and even have listeners overseas in the UK and Sweden. So I really want to say thank you to everyone who takes the time out to listen, because I know that your time is valuable. You could be doing a lot of things, filling up your time. But the fact that you push play and spend the week with me means a lot. So today we're going to talk about the compassion of Jesus, and we're going to be camped out in Luke chapter 7, reading verses 11 through 17 in the ESV. And it reads, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, he meaning Jesus, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding city. So let me give a little background of where this scripture sits in the chapter. It's following, um, immediately following the story of how Jesus healed the centurion's servant and marveled at his faith. And then a day later, Jesus goes to a city called Nain, which means beautiful. And many of his disciples went with him and many people. But his first sight in this beautiful city was one of sorrow and death. It was the death of an only child for a woman who was a widow. So this would be an extreme sorrow for a woman at this time. It wasn't just because she lost her son, but it was because she was a widow also and lost her only son. And at this time, women depended on men greatly for their financial stability. And so for her to be without a husband and without a son, it put her in a very precarious situation financially. Her son would have comforted her in her first loss of her husband, But now that her son was dead, there was no one left to comfort her except this group of people who were joining her to go to the burial site. It says a considerable crowd from the town was with her, but all these people could not bring her dead son back to life or change the fact that she was a widow. They could only express their sympathy to her, but that would only remind her of her loss. She needed a divine sympathy, one that would take her out of her sorrow, not remind her of it. 
and Jesus's timing was perfect. He meets her at the depths of her grief. It says in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. So as the funeral procession came out of the gate, they met Jesus. And that means, let me say this really quick, why they were at the city gate. That's where a lot of the business of the city would take place. That means there's not just people who are with Jesus and the crowd that's with her, but there are a lot of other people who would be able to witness what is what is about to happen. So from what we can tell in the scriptures, Jesus had no other business to tend to in the city of Nain. His only business was to see about this grieving woman. We can believe that he was moved by compassion to travel a day's journey to see about this woman. This is a significant fact because this, like I mentioned before, this woman was at a great risk financially um, because of the death of her son. And because of all this, Jesus felt a great compassion for her. This word compassion is, oh, it's a doozy. Okay, let me see if I can (laughs) pronounce this. Splangnizome. I'll put it in the show notes because I'm pretty sure I butchered that. But it, the word, this word is only used of Jesus and the Good Samaritan. And every time it's used, the result of the compassion is not just a pat on the back or some kind words, but there's always involvement and action attached to the compassion that is used. So when compa- this word compassion is used of Jesus, there's always going to be a corresponding action along with it. So, Jesus tells the woman not to cry, and he doesn't just say this to placate her, but he means this because in a moment, she's going to have a reason not to cry. He tells her not to cry, and he raises the boy from death. Now, commentators say this is not a young boy, but it's more like a grown man who is well able to take care of her financially, to hold down a job, to protect her, um, to be a provider for her. In the Greek, the meaning for this word compassion is much stronger than the word that we use in our English English language. It's more along the lines of being so moved by something that you feel it deep in your stomach or your gut. So the closest translation that we would have for this word compassion is the word gut-wrenched. And when I say that, you know exactly what that means. It's a very deep-seated emotion. Verse 14 says, then he came up and touched the buyer. The buyer is like a open coffin or a cot that the dead body was sat on. So the body was not closed up in a casket, but rather was laying open on a cot. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And when he said that, that dead man sat up and began to speak. So not only did Jesus restore his life, but also his health and his strength, and he gave him back to his mother. As Jesus came into the city, the widow and her group were heading out. And we see here that life and death stood face to faith. It's a remarkable picture that's painted here in this gospel. Jesus puts his hand out, lays it upon the buyer, not so much as to communicate anything, but simply to stop the progress of death. But isn't that what Jesus does in the world? His great work is to stop the triumphant march of death that reigns in each and every one of our lives. 
But here we see Jesus with the simple move of his hand, stop death. It's such a powerful image. And not only that, but Jesus serves as a a reuniter of hearts that have been torn apart. So he brings this mother back to her son and he reunites the relationship that had been torn by death. Jesus is doing so many things with just this simple act. And what Jesus does isn't just a show of compassion for a woman in distress, but it's a confirmation of his divine mission in the world. He takes this man, raises him from the dead near the gate of the city, a, pa- a place that's in full view of the public, and he touches the man. He touches the corpse or the the cot that the man is laying on. This act of touching would have caused defilement in that that day and age. Jesus could have been defiled, but instead he brings his healing touch to the dead. The word translated touch is a strong word in the Greek. It means to lay hold of. So it could be that Jesus was grabbing hold of the coffin to firmly stop its procession, giving us an even stronger word picture that he is indeed stopping death in his tracks. When Jesus speaks, things happen. Even the dead can hear him. And it says, fear took hold on all because the power of God had been so powerfully manifested right before their eyes. Everyone there recognized the presence of God's power. But what they didn't recognize, that Jesus was more than just a prophet. The crowd said, after the man was raised from the dead, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. At this time, the apostles hadn't even yet confessed Jesus as Christ, the Messiah. But it was clear that Jesus outshined all of the Jewish teachers of that time and all of God's former messengers. So this visiting from God that was mentioned refers to the long absence that happened between the Testaments. None had raised the dead since the days of Elijah in the Old Testament. Jesus stood and faced our worst enemy, which is death. And this was a precursor of what he was going to do with his own life. We know that he would die on the cross and face death once and for all so that we could live and walk in resurrection power. Jesus showed his divine authority and he exercised power over death. This is the first time, as I mentioned, that death, a person had been raised from the dead since the Old Testament. What's interesting is that this story follows the story of Jesus' healing of the centurion servant just a few verses prior. And in that story, the centurion's faith was so great that Jesus marveled at it. But here in these verses, there is no faith to speak of. The widow has no words. She doesn't even speak. So we don't even see any faith or hear of any faith for her. This mother has not asked Jesus for help. She hasn't said a prayer. She hasn't called on anyone to go fetch Jesus. So there is not even any show of faith, but that does not stop Jesus from coming in and being moved with compassion to act on this woman's behalf. Him coming to this city was on his own initiative, and the act that he performed was depended solely on his own power. Jesus's compassion was the sole motivation, and that fact alone gives me such hope 
and encouragement because sometimes we think that we have to have the great faith, like the faith of the centurion. We feel like our faith has to be on a thousand in order to get something from God. But we see that this grieving mother, she had no faith. She, I don't even, we don't know anything about her, whether she even thought to pray, whether she even knew who Jesus was. But he did something remarkable for her because he saw a need, a great need in her life. He saw how um, much she was grieving and he was moved with compassion to do something totally miraculous for her. That just is such an encouragement to me. Can you imagine the joy that Jesus felt being able to do this for her? And I wonder if we realize what it meant for him to reverse the curse of death in such a tangible way for her and for everyone else who was watching. The curse of death was the result of human sin, which goes all the way back to the book of Genesis that everyone who has ever walked this earth knows about. But in an instant, he turned this mother's sorrow to joy. Her son was alive again. She would not be left alone. She would be able to see her son marry if he wasn't married, have grandchildren. Essentially, her future was secure. And this is what Jesus is going to do for us. He, when he brings us back to life again, our futures will be secure in him. Now, this miracle that Jesus did would have brought to mind the great and mighty acts of the Old Testament prophet Elijah for all of those who were there. They were steeped in the Old Testament. They knew all of these stories like the back of their hands. So in the Old Testament, the hill of Moore was one of the places where God appeared to Abraham to give him the promise of the Savior. This is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 7. It was also the location of one of the most remarkable Remarkable Miracles of the Old Testament. So it was on Morah in the village of Shunem that the prophet Elijah met a wealthy but childless couple. And because of their faith, they took the prophet, they gave him a room. He lived there. He was welcome to stay there whenever he was in the area traveling. The husband was an old man. His wife was still young. But Elisha prophesied that within a year she would have a son. And she did. And while he was still young, the boy cried to his father, my head, my head. And they carried him to his mother who held him in her lap until he died. Then she got a donkey, went and found the prophet Elijah, who came, went to the room where the dead child had been laid and brings him back to life. And you can read this full story in Second Kings chapter four, verses eight through thirty seven. And this story ends with the verse and Elijah gave him back to his mother. That should sound familiar because that's the exact same wording mentioned in Luke when Jesus gave the boy back to his mother. Now, Nain was located on the same hill as Shunem. It's not a coincidence. This is on purpose. And the writer brings this point up so that we can draw the correlation so that we can connect the dots. Nain is on the northern side and Shunem is on the southern southern side. Shunem is where Elijah raised up the son of the wealthy woman who had been childless. So is it any wonder that when Jesus gave him to his mother, verse um, 15 of Luke 7, that the townspeople remembered the acts of Elijah and Elijah and glorify God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. They got it. They connected the dots. Now, a lot of scriptures say this of Jesus. He was moved with compassion. We hear that over and over again in the New Testament. 
This compassion is an expression of deep emotion, a striving, a yearning um, of the bowels. It's like a great show of pity. And uh, there's a theologian named Benjamin Warfield who wrote a book called The Person and the Work of Christ. And he has in it a chapter that's called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in it, he speaks of the emotions of Jesus Christ. And he says his whole life was a mission of mercy. His entire ministry is summed up as going around the land and doing good. The word that best summarizes Jesus, our Lord, is no doubt the word compassion. It is the emotion that is most frequently attributed to him. So it's no wonder that we see it pop up again and again and again. So think about this. Do you ever wonder if God has feelings for you? I mean, good feelings, feelings of compassion and love. And if you don't, why not? And if you do feel that God has feelings for you, what are those feelings that you attribute to God? That he has for you. Do you believe that God is filled with love and compassion just for you and you alone? If you really believe this, how would it impact your life, how you walk out your life, how you respond to Jesus? And after reading these verses, I had to ask myself these questions. Jesus is if Jesus is moved with so much compassion to go see about this grieving mother, how much more compassion does he has have for me as a child of God? And it makes you reevaluate what you're going through and how you complain, because you once you realize God really does love me, you really can't complain when you know that he's working all things together for your good. And if you know that God has compassion and strong feelings of love for you, how might it impact your relationship with others? The scriptures give us examples of how God feels great love and compassion for each and every one of you. You may want to take some time and just sit with that and truly understand that if you don't really um, take that to heart and believe it. So why don't you thank God today for his love and compassion for you? Thank him for caring deeply for you, not only when you have great faith like the centurion whose servant was healed, but also when you're hurting so bad, like the widow who lost her son, that you don't even think to have faith in God to do anything mighty for you. Let Jesus's compassion transform you into believing you are a beloved son or daughter, because that's exactly what you are. And also let his compassion spur you on to good works. So you're not just offering concern with a hug, but with real action that makes a difference. Thanks for listening to Unfolding Words this week. If you missed any of the scriptures, you can also you can always access the show notes at unfoldingwords.com or inside the app if they're available in your app. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Google Play. And I'll see you next week. God bless you.